Hola, buenos días. Ah, oh, good, good. Um, it's a great privilege to be here today. Uh, it's a joy uh, with my sister, Colton, uh, and all of you. Uh, it's a blessing to, to be able to share with you today. Um, I'm very excited. Very, very excited. So yeah, like Pastor West said, I was born in Mexico. Uh, you can go next slide. And when I was around seven years old, Paulina was six, we came to the United States to plant a church. Uh, my dad, Pastor Carlos, and uh, the Lord has blessed us these years. Uh, thank God for, for your church. Sorry, next slide. There you go. Next slide, please. There we go. That's us right there. So you see cute little Paulina a while ago, just a, just a few years ago. And uh, the Lord called us here to the United States. You can go next slide. And um, as you can see, we have assimilated quite well into the culture here. <laughs> it has been a, a great blessing to, to grow up in the BFC and to see and, and really feel God's love. Uh, we left our family in Mexico, but the Lord brought us to a new family. There are people uh, in the BFC that I call abuelo, abuela, tío, tía, aunt and uncle, grandma, grandpa. And it has been a blessing. And, and that's what has inspired me uh, and given me a great desire to serve his church in this way. So praise God. Uh, next slide. Now La Roca de Redding, we're a particular BFC church. Uh, we graduated after 15 years. And oh, there you go. So that's us today. And I serve with the, the youth ministry and also with the music ministry there. And it's, and it's been a blessing. Um, pre, please pray for us. Uh, we're there in Reading and growing and trying to serve our city and serve the Lord there. But a few years ago, uh, back in 2019, next, uh, the Lord called me to serve the rest of the BFC being the Hispanic ministry liaison. So that's like a pretty fancy sounding title. Uh, but basically, what, I'm, what I am is uh, Pastor Dave Gundrum, the, the director of Church Extension. Basically, I'm his minion. That's, that's what I am. Um, but a, a big part of my ministry is, is trying to serve the, the Spanish-speaking part of the BFC. So we have a, a few Spanish church plants. We have a church and two church plants in Mexico. And we have a Spanish church and a couple multilingual churches here in the U.S., and so my goal is to support them and to aid them and for the BSC to continue planting more Spanish-speaking churches here and wherever the Lord calls us. Uh, so next, par part of that trip, uh, sorry, part of that ministry is, um, I think one, one back, the one with the... Oh, one front, forget it. <laughs> there we go. So uh, a really cool part is that I get to kind of combine my ministry serving at La Roca, serving the, the teens, and also serving with Church Extension. Uh, this summer, I got to take a group of teens to help paint at the Adams County, the Gettysburg Church plant, so that was really cool. And just last week, we were at Cape Community Church, and we served them there. Uh, they're our church plant down in Cape May. So that's part of, of what I do. Um, get the BFC involved in serving our, our church plants. And I've talked to Ricardo before about maybe getting some of your teens involved in that as well. Next, we're also growing in Mexico. So there on the left 
is our first international transitional leadership team. So what that is basically is that when a church plant begins, we get different men from different BFC churches to serve as the basically transitional elders for a while. And so this TLT has people from, uh, well, they, they live here in the U.S., but people from Colombia, people from Mexico, and it is a great blessing because they are supporting our church plant in Villa Magna and our church planter, Freddie Chi, as he continues the, the work of the ministry there. And it's been a great blessing for him to have that group of men around him, to help him, to be able to encourage him, to challenge him. And also here on our right is our, our newest work in Mexico, in Tapachula, Chiapas, all the way uh, at the southern tip of Mexico in our, on the border with Guatemala. And there, uh, our church planter, Imer Molina, uh, who's in the process of getting credentials with the BFC, he started a small group there, and they're starting to meet now on Sundays, and it's so exciting what God is doing there. Um, just people that are hungry for God's word, hungry for the gospel. In their city, there are a lot of uh, churches, but not any, basically, that, that preach the, the, the solid gospel. So it's a blessing to, to be part of that and to see what God is doing there. Next. And I also just want to thank you in, in this next slide for your service to Christ Alone Fellowship. Oh, uh, one back. There we go. So just want to praise God for, for York Biofellowship Church, who has served over the years. Um, there on the left is the center. I, I'm sure you've, you've heard about that before. Pastor Los, I know, has come here before and preached. Um, and so thank you for your support over the years. The center is now, thank God, unnecessary because Christ Alone Fellowship now has a building you see on the right there, uh, 41 Caroline Street in Lancaster. They've moved, and so they're going to continue the work of the ministry that they were doing at the center there. And now their church is meeting there. It's a blessing to see how God is growing them, the encouragement, the excitement that is there. And so the Lord is working. The Lord is working in the BFC and here in the United States and in Mexico. And we have desires and dreams to see churches planted in the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. Um, at our church, we actually have people from a bunch of different countries, and one of the most beautiful things has been to see how they have come to know the Lord here, and now they are sharing the gospel with their families back at home, and they're coming to know the Lord. And, and so we see now even a, a need for, for churches in those places. So the Lord is working, and we pray that God would guide us as a, as a group of churches, as a family of churches, to, to continue the work of the ministry. So thank God for your church. Next. Thank God for Faith BFC and for the part that, that you have in, in this great mission that God has called all of us on to plant churches and to see people come to know the Lord, see their lives transformed, see them walking in new life. So praise God for that. And so today I'm excited to share God's word with you. So we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and we're going to go into God's word. Um, so if you could turn with me to Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah chapter 19. We're going to read verses uh, 1 through 4 and then 16 through 25 through the end there. Let's listen to God's beautiful word. An oracle concerning Egypt. 
Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. And the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. And they will fight each against another and each against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out. And I will confound their counsel. And they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers. And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master. And a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. Verse 16. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. And they will return to the Lord. And he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. And Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Let's pray. God, it's so beautiful to see how the tone in this passage changes. And God, we long and we love to see your greatness. We see your greatness in your judgment. We see your greatness in your mercy, in your grace. God, you are so great. You are so beautiful, Lord. Help us to see that today. And would you guide us as we go into your word? Change our hearts, Lord. Change our hearts in this moment. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Open our ears. Open our eyes. May we see you clearly today. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Human beings, we, we desire peace, don't we? We want things to be good. We want things to be right. We want peace in our countries, in our cities, in our families. We want peace with our buddies, with our friends. We want peace in our inner lives. However, as humanity has experienced over the course of history, both in the world stage and inside every person's heart, peace is quite elusive, isn't it? Even if you make a plan for peace, like countless treaties that have been made over the course of human history, things just don't seem to work out, do they? And I think in, in these times, 
our culture and our, and our country has, has really felt just a lot of turbulence. And we feel that in our own hearts and in our own lives. Sometimes not knowing how to think, not knowing what to say. We have turmoil in our families with our friends. My hope for us today is that we might understand what true peace is and that we might experience it. And so that is why we go today to God's word in Isaiah chapter 19. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in this chapter. What's going on in this time in the history of the people of God, the people of Israel. These guys, they were in a time of little peace in their country. It was, it was crazy. Things were, things were going wrong. God's people had disobeyed him. They had broken his covenant. They had turned from him. And because of this, the northern kingdom of Israel, they were in the process of being destroyed and exiled by this cruel empire of Assyria. And the southern kingdom, whom Isaiah is writing to, they were also in great danger of Assyria. We read all about this in the books of Kings, Chronicles, and, and also here in Isaiah. And this prophet Isaiah, he is ministering during these hard times of little peace. He is bringing God's message to his people, mainly to, to, again, to the southern kingdom. And he's telling God's people that, that he wants them to turn from their sin and to turn to him, their God and their Savior. This passage is found in Isaiah in, in this section called the Oracles Against the Nations. In this chapter and in surrounding chapters, God is speaking against the nations. This specific passage, as we see, is judgment against Egypt. God is addressing Egypt, an oracle concerning Egypt. However, there's something really important that we have to remember. It is that God is, is speaking to his people. God is speaking to Judah. God is addressing Egypt for his people, Judah, to hear. God is not really just speaking to, to these nations. He is speaking to his people. And so what, what is God saying to his people of Judah? What is God's message to them? Is he simply telling them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy Egypt. I'm going to do this and that. It's going to be very bad for them. What, what, what is he communicating to his people? So again, let's, let's, let's think about what's going on here. Assyria, they're coming against Judah. This frightful, horrible empire, they're doing horrible things to people, unmentionable things to people. And God is bringing these horrible people against his people. Because his people have broken their covenant with him and are rebelling against him. Yet at this time, his people, the people of Israel, they're looking to other nations. They're looking to Egypt specifically to help them and to bring them protection and stability and peace. These people, instead of looking to God, are looking to these nations, are looking to Egypt. In this prophecy, that God gives to Judah about his judgment on Egypt, God is telling his people, look at Egypt. They're not going to be of much help to you, are they? You're looking for peace in all the wrong places. Let me show you what I have in mind. And that is what God's message is to us today. God invites us to trust in him as the source of true peace and to let go of our silly little plans for peace. So we're going to be thinking about this 
about God's invitation to trust him as the source of true peace and to let go of our silly little plans for peace. We're going to be thinking about this in four headings, under four headings. Our plan for peace, God's response, God's plan for peace, and our response. So first, our plan for peace. So these people, they, they wanted things to be right. They wanted things to go well. Because of their sin, they were in this war with this cruel and really, really powerful, scary nation of Assyria. And instead of turning to God, they turn to Egypt to help them. Their plan for peace and well-being, it didn't involve turning to God, but it involved continuing in their sin and turning to Egypt for help. We see this alluded to in Isaiah chapter 30 and 31. In Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, God says, Ah, stubborn children who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. In Isaiah 31, verse 1, we, we, see, we see this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. What did, what did Judah want? What were they seeking from these nations? They were looking for refuge, for help, for peace. And I want us to, to, to think about peace for a moment. Because in the Bible, peace is not just this idea of absence of war, not this un- nice inner feeling that we can have when things are going all right in our lives, but it has to do with wholeness, with well-being, with prosperity. Peace is the way that things should be. The Hebrew word that we usually translate as peace into English is shalom. And it has this deep, rich meaning. For example, in Joshua 8.31, God commands his people to make an altar of shalom stones. And that's translated as uncut or whole stones. It means that they are whole, complete. In 1 Kings 9.25, when Solomon finishes the temple, it says that literally that he brought shalom to the temple. That he finished it. It was complete. So, So peace in our lives is wholeness. In every sense, both within us and in our relationships to one another and with the rest of the world. This is the way that God created the world. Just like you, you don't throw a bunch of strings together on a table and voila, there's a t-shirt or fabric. God made this complex, beautiful, wonderful world, whole and complete, an interwoven wholeness and peace. The way that things should be. And so as we, as we talk about this, as every time that I say the word peace in, in, this, in this sermon, think about that. It's not just this like, oh, things are, are going well, there's no war. But it's this idea of wholeness, of well-being in our lives, of things being right, things being good. But sadly, beginning in the Garden of Eden, human beings continually make their own plans for this peace. So in this case, what are, what are the people of Israel, what are they trusting in for their well-being, for their shalom? What was their plan for peace? And we can tell by what God is speaking against in this text. Remember, he's showing them what they're trusting in and what is not going to work out for them. 
So first, in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 19, we see that Judah is trusting in a false religion. We see here that the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt tremble at his presence. Further down in verse 3, the second half, it says, and they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers. So, so we see that the Egyptians are freaking out and turning to their gods, but no help is coming. The people of Judah were trusting in Egypt and their gods to help them against Assyria. They were trusting in a false religion to bring them the peace they desired. Second, they're trusting in the economic power of Egypt. In verses 5 through 10, we see God's judgment against the Nile River. It says in verse 7, there will be bare places by the Nile, on the brink of the Nile, and all that is sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, and will be no more. You see, the Nile was a source of economic power of Egypt. And if there's no Nile, there's no money, there's no food, there's no crops. And so the people of Judah, they were also looking to the economic power of Egypt for their peace. Third, we see that Judah is trusting in the political power of Egypt. In verses 11 through 15, we see God's judgment on the political leaders of the land, the princes of Zoan, the the wise counselors, Pharaoh himself. Verse 13, the princes of Zoan have become fools and the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. So we see these people who are supposed to have everything together and, and be these strong leaders shaking because of God's judgment. So the people of Judah were trusting in their political power and the political power of Egypt to bring them peace. So false religion, economic power, political power, this is what they were trusting in to bring wholeness and peace to their lives. Does that sound familiar? All it takes is for for one to look around, right? People everywhere are trusting in false religion, trying to work themselves to peace and stability through doing certain rites and certain good works. People are trusting in money and economic power in order to be whole and for things to be right in their lives. People are trusting in political power in order to be whole and in order to bring wholeness to the rest of the world. But in the process, they are crushing others with that power in order to create a a just and peaceful society, but according to their version of what justice and peace are. And we see that on all political sides. It is so easy to make our own plan for peace and to think that these things are going to bring us and the rest of the world around us wholeness. And we see even the church falling into this as a whole, putting our trust in in social programs or political leaders in order to bring peace to the world, in order to make things right. You know, the confusing thing, though, is that a lot of times the things that we look to for peace in our lives aren't even bad in themselves, right? In, In our personal lives, it's not bad to want a good family, a stable income. It's not bad to want a good church. It's not bad when we look at the rest of the world to desire political peace, better leaders, greater education, a more just and moral society. That's not bad. 
But the problem is when these things become our source of well-being, our ultimate plan to have peace and wholeness in our lives. You see, all of us have Egypts in our lives that we're turning to, that we're looking to, to bring peace and wholeness to our lives and to the rest of the world. And so how do we know what, when something is in Egypt in our lives? How do you know? How do I know? Let me give you an example. So I've never really been a lot into to sports and stuff like that. Colton can tell you when I've tried to play football with him. Um, and I started going to the gym like uh, a few months ago. And the, pro- the program that, that I bought said that I was going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in three months. So I think I should uh, go get my money back. I don't know. But I've been working out and, and doing all kinds of exercises. And it's not bad, right? It's not bad to want to be healthy, to want to be able to, to move. <laughs> but I realized something a few months ago when I, I hurt, I was doing some, some squats and I hurt my, my right hip flexor here. And it, it, it like really hurt and I couldn't do exercise for a while. And I remember that I got really, really, really anxious and almost like angry because I couldn't, I couldn't work out anymore. It was, it was weird. Like, it, it's, it really stressed me out. And as I was thinking and, and even thinking about, about this message, I realized that working out and all of the benefits of working out, you know, looking good and all that, they had become sources of peace for me. They had become my plan for peace. They had become my Egypt. And ironically, it was what was taking away my peace. And so, Let's, let's self-diagnose for a moment and, and find out what, what are our Egypts. What, what really stresses us out? What stresses you out? What makes you anxious and insecure? What makes you angry at others and even at God? This, this is a good place to start. When people don't respect and accept you as you'd like, does that fill you with sadness and anger? When your job is in jeopardy, does that fill you with extreme anxiety? When politics isn't going your way, are you angry and bitter against the other side? When you've invested time and energy into helping someone, maybe your child or someone else, and they've gone and ruined their lives, does that completely crush you? Does the fact that you're getting older, that we're getting older and fading away, does that fill you with despair? You see, if anything other than God is your plan for peace and it's threatened, it will begin to destroy you. So let's reflect on this for a moment. What might be your personal plan for peace? What might be your Egypt? Well, God has something to say about this. Our second point from verses 1 through 15 is God's response to, eat, to Israel's plan for peace. God, in his grace, he shows his people just how silly and how foolish their plan is. This whole section, God is judging the religion of Egypt, their economic power that comes from the Nile, the political leaders and the power that they might have offered. And he's telling the people of Judah, he's, he's saying, really? You, you trust this? Now, 
we might think that, that Judah is, is looking at this because they, they don't really actually like Egypt. They just want to use them, right? So we might think that, that Judah is, is looking at this and hearing Isaiah speak to them. And they're saying like, yeah, God, go, go get them. Go get them. Destroy them. Egypt, man, they're, they're getting wrecked. But then, you know, they realize, oh, wait. Egypt, they're, they're our only hope, or so we thought. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that video of this guy, uh, this preacher, Paul Washer, and he's talking to a bunch of teens, and he's like saying like, oh, you, did, you know, everyone's doing all these bad things, and the teens are all clapping, and yeah, they're, they're all excited. And then he stops and he says, I'm talking about you. That is exactly what God is doing in this passage. God is talking about Israel, about Judah, and he's showing them how foolish their plan for peace is. And this is what God in his grace does for us as well. He shows us just how silly our plans are, and sometimes he does this by taking the things in our lives that we thought were going to bring us wholeness. God is faithful in showing us our plans for peace and how foolish and silly they are. But many times it's not pretty. Like seeing Egypt, your only hope, being crushed. God is dangerous to our plans for peace. Just like Mrs. Beaver says about Aslan, the line that represents Jesus, the Lord in the Chronicles of Narnia, she says, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God sure is dangerous to our foolish plans for peace. But that danger is our good. He's, he's not up there saying, ha, 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 you're, you're, you're not very smart. You know, you're, you're looking for that to bring you peace. No, God is doing this out of love. He shows us just how silly our plans are. But he doesn't stop there. He also reveals what his plan for peace is. What he's up to to bring wholeness and peace into our lives and into the whole world. So what is God's plan for peace? In verses 16 through 25, we have a glorious vision of this plan. So that's our third point, God's plan for peace. We see in verses 16 through 17 that Egypt trembles before God in terror. But this fear, it has a positive side to it because it leads to understanding one's own inability to control the future and our own lives and that God is sovereign. From verses 18 through 22 then, because of this trembling and this fear, we actually see a glorious reversal in Egypt. There is mass conversion to the Lord of hosts, the one true God, the true powerful one. We see cities that begin to rise up in Egypt that speak Hebrew and worship the one true God. Look at verse 19. There's an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord. These are signs of faithfulness from Egypt to God. Look at verse 20. This is, this, this is mind-blowing. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. And here, l- listen to this. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. God delivering people. Does this sound familiar? God 
a couple centuries back, had delivered his people from Egypt. And now God is delivering Egypt from their enemies. These Egyptians, these, these hateful, slave-owning, pharaoh-worshipping enemies of God's people, God is delivering them as his people. Look at verse 22. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. This is so glorious, but it actually gets even crazier. Look at verse 23. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Now, put yourself in the shoes of a normal Judahite, a normal Israelite. Think about, think about how Jonah thought about the Assyrians when he was called to go to Nineveh. They're, they're, reading, they're, they're hearing this, and they're saying, really, God, you, are you sure you want this? Like, are you sure you want them to be your people? Like, they're, they're out here beheading people and doing all sorts of horrible things. God, are you sure? God is saying, blessed be Assyria, the work of my hands. They're on the same level as Israel. They're a th- Israel is a third with Egypt and Assyria. What is going on? God is bringing wholeness and peace. Shalom. God is bringing idolatrous Egypt, cruel and evil Assyria, and rebellious Israel together as his people. They're connected. There is peace, wholeness, and harmony between them. Now, we don't know exactly how how this is being fulfilled. We see glimpses of this in history, but we also realize that this is pointing to something greater waiting for us. In history, we see Athanasius, this early Christian who lived and worked in Alexandria, Egypt. And he saw this chapter, he actually saw this chapter as a prophecy of the church age. He says this about this prophecy, and this is, this is amazing. The thing is happening before our very eyes here in Egypt, and thereby another prophecy is fulfilled. For at no other time have the Egyptians ceased from their false worship, save when the Lord of all, riding as on a cloud, came down here in the body and brought the error of idols to nothing, and won over everybody to himself and through himself to the Father. Today, we also see how God is drawing people from every tribe and nation, including Egypt and Assyria, to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. People who can live in beautiful unity and harmony and community that is prophesied here and that's symbolized by that great highway, united because of what Jesus has done. But we also see that this picture here it seems to be pointing to something greater. And it gives us glimpses into a wondrous future of peace and salvation for those whom God turns from his enemies into his friends, into his people. An Israelite at this time was looking at this and thinking, what is God, what is God saying? What is God going to do? This was not what they had in mind. But God's plan for peace is way, 
way better. Theirs involved using Egypt and crushing Assyria, but God's was to include them. Theirs theirs involved continuing in their own sin and rebellion, but God's was for widespread repentance towards him. Their plan was Egypt, but God's plan was himself. You see, our plans for peace always fall short. They don't shoot high enough. Like the, the beggar in Acts, he says, he's begging for money, and Peter says, silver and gold have I not, but this I give you. And, and he raises him up and tells him about Jesus Christ. Our plans, we want too little. Right? We want peace and political power. But God is the king of the universe. And we're going to be ruling with him in justice and peace and prosperity forever. We want peace by having a whole, healthy, beautiful body. But God is going to resurrect our bodies Give us new bodies. We want peace by wanting a good family. God has adopted us into his family, and we will dwell forever in perfect harmony and love. We want peace in economic security and prosperity, but God is the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. He is the owner of the universe, and we are heirs of God in Christ. We want peace and approval and acceptance from others. But God looks at us and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant in Christ because of him. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue these things in our lives, right? But these things must and cannot be our source of peace. And if this is true for us, right, when we don't have them, of course we'll be sad, right? We're, we're human beings, but we won't be crushed. You see, God's plan is so much better and beautiful. As a church, we, we tend to forget what, what brings peace into this world. We tend to put our trust in politics and education and moralism to bring wholeness to this world, but we forget that it is Jesus Christ, it is knowing him, the good news of salvation that brings new life that is what brings and that is what will bring peace to this world. In part today through the people of God and one day completely when the Prince of Peace returns. And this is what church planting is doing. The face that God's plan for peace is in today is that of making disciples, planting churches, sharing the gospel, being part of God's mission of building the church, sacrificing our lives, our comfort, our resources, and loving others as we have been called, as God has loved us. This is so much better than the, the godless utopian dreams of politicians. It is big and real and wonderful. In this plan, there is real unity and diversity, real justice and grace, real love. And we still need a lot of growing in, in, our, in our denomination. I know that the Lord needs to constantly remind me that his plan is better, both in my personal life, but also in my hopes and desires for peace and well-being in this world, in this country. But I praise God for what he is doing and what he's continuing to do in, in churches like, like faith. We want to be part of this great plan. And I hope that you want to be part of this great plan of God. His plan is so much better than our plans. His plan was way better than Judah's plan for peace.
You see, when, when we make our plans for peace, usually they involve not suffering at all, not sacrificing at all, and a lot of times making other people suffer. Right? In the case of Judah, their plan included using Egypt for their self-benefit and getting rid of Assyria. Our plans for peace tend to, they involve getting rid of people who disturb that peace from our lives. But ironically, as we see, this leads to our own destruction, death, and condemnation. But God's plan for peace is very, very different. It's upside down. In order for him to bring true peace, to restore this broken world that we messed up, he did not destroy us peace breakers, but he forfeited peace himself. God, Jesus Christ, the eternal one, he came down to this broken world. He lived among brokenness. And he eventually was broken himself so that we might be made whole, so that we might have true peace. He was torn apart so that we might be put back together. Isaiah, he says this crystal clear a few chapters later, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is the Savior and Defender alluded to in verse 20. He lost peace so that you and I could have peace with God. So that our relationship with him, our relationships with one another, our souls, our bodies, and this world might one day be made whole and complete. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Wholeness. Through him and in him we have peace with God. He is our peace. Jesus Christ is the plan for peace. And so this brings us to to our last point. What, What is our response to this? God's message in this passage is an invitation. Don't go to Egypt for peace. Come to me. God is inviting us to trust in him to be our peace, to stop trusting in ourselves and our silly little plans and to turn to him and his great plan because his won't fail. So how does that change our lives today? Because you know his plan for peace, you can actually begin to experience that peace and wholeness in your life and share that with others. Just like I said, if, if your plan for, for peace is on and all these other things, your life is, is, is you're constantly going to be sad and anxious because those things are always, sh- they're shaky. But if your plan for peace is the Lord Jesus Christ, that will bring a solid peace to your life that you're able to share with others. You, as a local church, you can be a community of wholeness in Christ and you invite other people to join that. We can be ambassadors of spiritual and physical wholeness to those who are less fortunate than us, just like Jesus did for us. And we can be part of God's plan of putting back together this broken world as we look to the day when he will finally complete it. You see this. We see how God brings wholeness to people's lives. Countless families at Christ Alone Fellowship that 
are living now in the wholeness of the Lord. There's this family in our church, and they're amazing. And, and when, when they started coming, actually they didn't want to start coming, but one of them started coming, and eventually they both came to know the Lord. And the Lord brought them together. They weren't married, and they got married. They started living for him. And God, God did bring good things into their lives. He brought stability. He brought well-being to them. God does this. He does this. And even when, when that doesn't happen in this beautiful cookie-cutter way, God invites us to experience real peace no matter what is going on in our lives. Because if he is our plan, he is unshakable. He is the solid rock. And we can have true peace and well-being no matter what's going on outside and move towards that in our lives. Thank you once again for having me today. May the Lord continue to show all of us how silly our little plans are and how great his plan is. May he make us peacemakers. And I'll end with this verse in Isaiah chapter 26. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you, Prince of Peace. God, you are so wonderful. You're so beautiful. Your plan is so much better than ours. Ours involves getting rid of our problems, getting rid of others. And your plan was to be destroyed so that we might be made whole. God, what love, what great love. And we thank you that we have known that, that we know that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that he is alive again. And he is with us. Your Holy Spirit, Lord, is in our lives, is here. And we thank you, God. We praise you for what you're doing in this church how you're bringing wholeness into our lives. Even if things outside in our lives don't seem whole all the time, Lord, we know that one day you will bring complete wholeness to this world, to our lives. And we look, we long for that day, oh God. But as we wait, God, may, may our lives be filled with peace, with harmony, God, as we look forward to the day when you will complete it. God, thank you for this wonderful congregation. Lord, bless them. May they seek you and your plan above everything. Bless them and bless us, Lord, as we go, as we sing to you. You're amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.